Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And Phil Goldfeder off this week. Just, uh, we're, we're actually going to really make this a, a mini episode just because the news is just, it's just kind of wild right now. And there's just, it's all over the place. 2020 has basically begun the presidential race. The Democrats uh, just are, you know, coming into the race over and over. And we're kind of in that interregnum right now vis-a-vis the shutdown. They had the shutdown. There might be another shutdown soon. Congress kind of meeting. There's a special election going on in New York City for public advocate. You might not know what the public advocate is. It's the number two job in the city. And you actually would become the public advocate becomes the mayor should the mayor uh, make a vacate the office. And it's a citywide race and it's a wide open race. It's a city. It's a New York City special election with no party labels. So there are about 17 candidates now left who are all competing on no party lines and just their own lines. So it's a very interesting time for politics. Usually February is the dead time. Uh, I know we're still in January, but it feels like February already. And, of course, we are in the middle of the deep freeze. Uh, Really insane. Uh, As we mentioned last week, our friend uh, uh, Rabbi Yechiel Kalish, uh, now a newly minted state representative, probably dealing potentially with his first kind of crisis, if you will, Uh, when people don't have heat or their Chicago is like negative 27. I know we're feeling the freeze here in New York on Thursday morning where it's still well below zero and the real feel is even lower than that. So we are, but Chicago, that's a whole different story. I, well, I guess they're more, they're more conditioned. They kind of understand how that is. We don't really kind of get it in New York. It's like, you know, maybe dealing with like 30 degrees in Florida. We this, this is well below zero is kind of a, little bit of insanity. But at the same time, we have a big week as far as news and the Mueller investigation. Roger Stone, the longtime political, I don't want to say aide because it wasn't always hired, but the longtime political helper of President Trump. Uh, For years, for decades, Roger Stone has been involved in the orbit of Donald Trump and his political dreams and political ambitions. And he was arrested this week by Mueller. Now this is a uh, subject of controversy. The president has tweeted that he was treated unfairly, that they came, the FBI, they were uh, armed, and they stormed the House. Uh, you know, I look, I don't know how, exactly how these things go, but generally... You know, if they're executing a search warrant, they're going to bring enough agents that they need in order to do that. And it's just kind of a little bit unseemly for the president of the United States to be passing judgment constantly on the actions of law enforcement. The funny thing is that this is the same president who came when he came to Long Island uh, months ago. He actually said to a group of law enforcement officers don't be so nice. You know, when you, um, might be, I'm not direct quote, but I remember the quote. The president said, when you take your handcuffed perpetrator and you put him into the squad car, the proverbial, you know, put it, and then you push his head down because, of course, he's handcuffed. Don't push the head down. You know, 
let him let him hit his head. Don't be so nice. And a lot of people were kind of outraged. What do you mean? You abuse the prisoners? People are shackled. They're handcuffed. You're not supposed to let them get injured. That's the whole point here. Uh, but yet, when a friend or an associate comes, like with Paul Manafort, when they t- or with Michael Cohen, right? Remember, they said that the FBI broke into his office. Of course, if you have a search warrant, you can't break in. Uh, it's just the way and the style in which I feel. And it's not like I disagree. I, I don't know. Obviously, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. This is not a opinion with regard to Roger Stone's guilt or innocence or Paul Manafort's or Michael Cohen's. You know, Paul Manafort obviously pled guilty to certain crimes, as did Michael Cohen. Roger Stone maintains that he is innocent. Uh, and based on what we've seen uh, in just out there in the public realm, uh, once again, this is a lying type of thing, lying to a federal agent. He went ahead and lied by saying, I didn't contact this person, and then they have evidence of text messages on the same day. But we'll leave that aside. He has He's entitled to his day in court. But kind of undermining the way in which law enforcement and the FBI, the Justice Department, carries out these functions is a little bit disturbing. And... Why would you take to Twitter? Why would you make this a national conversation? If anything, if, you do, if you're a little bit upset with the way they did it, you should discuss it with the head of the FBI. He works for you. Remember, these, we've gotten to a point these are not Obama appointees anymore. And we'll get to the, this in a second with regard to the intelligence community. They're not Obama appointees. Are, these are your own appointees. These are your own people. And I, I think there's like, there is a pattern here of the distrust between the White House, or maybe it's just the president in particular, towards anybody who's part of the security establishment, whether it's the FBI, whether it's the intelligence agencies, CIA, even if they're his own appointees, he has a tremendous distrust of them, which is very unhealthy for the government. In many, look, there are plenty of people out there who distrust the intelligence agencies, and sometimes for good reason, sometimes for no reason, but that's fine. I mean, that happens, and it's not unheard of, and it's not inappropriate. But you're when you are the person who at the same time is the head of these agencies, you are the head of these uh, people, and they're looking to you for guidance when you undermine them. That's a problem. So case in point this week, the heads of intelligence agencies went before Congress, as is their custom to do and talked about the global threats to the United States. And they talked about Iran. They talked about North Korea. They talked about ISIS. They talked about Syria. They talked about the areas, the hotspot issues, you know, China, Russia, these areas where the there are adversaries and threats to the United States. And let's just be honest. I mean, despite the fact that the president is going to meet, that our president, meaning President Trump, is going to meet Kim Jong-un soon, once again for another summit, there really is no evidence whatsoever that North Korea is going headed towards denuclearization. And they said that. And they're also saying that there isn't evidence that Iran... Now, we don't necessarily have to agree with everybody's assessment. We don't necessarily have to make it, oh, these people are 1,000% right all the time. We know, but this is the best guess estimate. Intelligence is basically on putting a lot of data together. All that we have with the incredible capabilities of the United States 
government that we have where it's human intelligence and what's known as signal intelligence, which is electronic intelligence and surveillance that we have around the world. And we spend billions of dollars on this. And this is the data that people put together that our professionals, non-political people put together in order to protect our country. And they go before Congress and they contradict some of the claims that the president has made, whether on uh, television or on Twitter or other... And clearly he's furious because he tweeted, of course, that these guys are naive and they should go back to school. Now, if you don't think that the people that you have appointed and put into these positions are good, are capable, are getting it right, then you have an obligation and responsibility as the president of the United States to replace them with people who are. Full stop. They are your people, Mr. President. You have to go ahead and deal with that. You can't just say, hey, oh, no, I, I, they, they need to, we need to refresh our course. I would hope that as president of the United States, if you pick the head of the CIA, Gina Haskell, that you would take her opinion. Now, you don't necessarily have to always agree with her opinion. It could be one opinion out of many, but dismissing, being dismissive of her opinion and essentially saying that they are hopeless, they're naive, and discrediting them and undermining them, I don't think it serves the purposes of the country. I don't think it serves them. It doesn't serve the institution. And it doesn't serve the presidency. The funny thing is, I can't understand why the president... And he has a way, and I tell I, I say this all the time, he has a charisma and he has the ability to motivate people and people believe in it. I don't understand how he feels that it helps him to undermine his own essentially employees. I mean they're not his employees, they don't work for they work for the country. But in the end, they are his people. He appointed them. And when Roger Stone is arrested with a properly served warrant, with an indictment from a grand jury in the process of the law. He is entitled to his day in court. But yes, he is arrested. It's not an opportunity for the president to pass judgment on the agents of our law enforcement, the agents of the FBI who risked their lives and had done it before that for about a month without pay. And to do that. So I'm disappointed. He's disappointed in the arrest. I'm disappointed in the way we are undermining these institutions. And part of it, of course, is, you know, closing the government. I hear the complaint, of course, that government, well, it was closed for a month and I didn't really feel affected whatsoever. So therefore, government is useless. Yeah, I am always in long been of the opinion that there's way too much government. That government oversteps, that it's too big, it's too bureaucratic, etc. I do not necessarily feel that government should be done away with entirely. I mean, there are libertarians out there who say we should have nothing whether the Department of Defense, abolish the IRS, abolish the Department of Education, Department of Energy, all these things. I mean, there are functions that all these things that the national government does that's important. I was just in Atlanta for the weekend, and Malcolm Siegel Network is in the Atlanta this whole week. And I was just in Atlanta, and one of my kids asked me, what is the CDC? What is the Senators for Disease Control? And yeah, okay, would would the private sector pick up this and do this function of public health and public emergency and infectious diseases? Not, of course they wouldn't. And collecting data, this is a necessary government function. Now, you might think, well, government, 
you know, it's not that it's not that important, you know, maybe but tracking diseases, tracking the flu, tracking these are important things that we need to know. Uh, uh, climate. I mean, we, we the, the cold snap, having good weather weather models, the National Weather Service, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, these functions are things that go, only government would do. Private industry would not turn around and do this, or they would do it for profit. But making this data and having reams and, and data available now, and there's many cases of the public sector doing it together with the private sector, but that doesn't mean that government is worthless. Uh, there's definitely too much of it, and I definitely think that we need uh, less of it, and we need less cost of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should distrust the institutions entirely. But on that front... Let's talk about the Democratic primary for a second, because you actually now, this week in particular, you had kind of two facets of the Democratic primary. You had Howard Schultz, the Starbucks former CEO, chairman, founder, and billionaire, announcing that he is a lifelong Democrat, uh, New Yorker, New York boy, grew up in public housing in New York City. Uh, Rags to Riches story, incredible, great story, uh, has, has long been a donor to Jewish causes, Howard Schultz announced he's going to run for president on 60 Minutes, but he's not going to do it as a Democrat, even though he's a lifelong Democrat. He's going to do it as an independent. And the Democrats are absolutely going nuts. They're going crazy. How can he do this? He should go through the primary. And the funny thing is Mike Bloomberg, a similar type of person, of candidate, similar type of positioning, had said that he was going to go ahead and run in the past, potentially as an independent, but he's decided to stick it out through the Democratic primary. And everybody's upset now because he is going to guarantee, Howard Schultz is somehow going to guarantee that Donald Trump gets elected. I will tell you, you know, a lot of people that I know who are not so enamored with Trump, who are Republicans, they are not going to vote for Kamala Harris. So when it comes down to Kamala Harris or Christian Gillibrand or Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, whoever these are, Cory Booker, all these people calling for Medicaid, Medicare for all, basically bankrupt the country, end of private insurance. That's what Kamala Harris said. We don't want more private insurance. We want to go to the you know English model or the Canadian model of medicine. And it says, and we're going to raise your taxes. And we're going to make government, uh, expand government, and spend, 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 and raise taxes. That's not a platform I can embrace. And that's not a platform, even the people that I know who don't feel comfortable with the president and a lot of things, the Democratic Party has gone far to the left. And Howard Schultz is making a good point, is that you have to offer a sensible alternative for the sensible people in the middle on this country. And most of the, many, much of the country is independent, non-registered Republicans, Democrats. Much of this country is middle of the road, is moderate. And a lot of people are looking for alternative, but it's, they're not going to find it in Democratic far-left politics. And that's where the Democratic Party is headed, to the far left. The same way the Republican Party, in many ways, is headed, has headed far to the right or far to the right of where they were and abandoned some of the pillars, you know, this administration is definitely increasingly isolationist. Venezuela aside, it is definitely not fiscally conservative. I mean, the uh, as far as the debt, the uh, increased debt burden that we have taken on, there's a lot of things, and I think in in certainly there might not be it might not be entirely electorally. The electoral electoral possibilities, excuse me, might be very limited for such a candidate. However, at the same time, there is room for a moderate voice like Howard Schultz. There should be room for, and there should be room potentially on the Republican side for a more uh, 
moderate voice or a less populist voice. Remember, Donald Trump, what the president did was kind of scramble the electorate in many ways and hasn't been unscrambled. He hasn't been able to get it back. He led that exodus of white working class voters away from the Republican, away from the Democratic Party towards the Republican Party and has alienated over the course of the two years, and no question about it, the midterms have said that, has alienated more educated, highly educated suburban Republicans and driven them uh, out of the Republican Party, at least as Republican voters, particularly in the midterms. And the Republican Party is not learning their lesson by the shutdown. The 35 days, I don't know which Republican out there thought that somehow the Republicans were not going to get. Always the president will get the party in charge, which essentially, even though it's shared power, which essentially is the Republicans, 35 days, This that was a tremendous suffering for the Republican brand, I believe, and a, a huge mistake. And certainly on the government, again, would be a colossal mistake. But what I'm saying is there is room for somebody in the middle, like a Howard Schultz, like a Mike Bloomberg, potentially, uh, although Bloomberg you know, seems to feel that uh, he has to run the Democratic primary. Maybe he can, he can always change his mind. He has plenty of money in order to do that. But there is room for that middle-of-the-road voice in there who's going to find that the politics in the Democratic Party are far too left for them. And that's what a lot of moderates in New York City feel when the, when they have trouble getting elected in a city like New York City, even though there are plenty of moderate voters, there are plenty of moderate Democrats, there are plenty of of non-registered voters, but who... but. In order to get elected you know, citywide or to many city council seats, you have to run a Democratic primary, and the people who vote in these Democratic primaries are generally far to the left, as Joe Crowley found out. Joe Crowley wasn't even a so much of a centrist, although viewed as a centrist, when he got tossed out by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, in a Democratic primary, very extremely low turnout. Remember, there's 770,000 people in that district, you know, or 795, I think, is for the average congressional district, and I think she was elected by like 11,000 people in that Democratic primary. So that is the dilemma that goes through. That is where, that is why this country is headed in extremes in many different ways and why somebody trying to capture the center could could make a good case if they're well-funded and they're well-voiced and people uh, have to think of them. Now, the interesting thing that Howard Schultz is doing, of course, is now he's going out and visiting early primary states. Remember, you're not in a primary. Why are you going? You could go to any state. You know, come campaign in New York. Why are you campaigning in Iowa? Just yeah, it's kind of interesting and odd. But we will see. We will see what happens. We got a uh, we got an interesting uh, two years ahead of this as Democrats kind of fight it out, and the president kind of laughs on the sidelines of what things are going on. Because I'll tell you right now, uh, as implausible as it seems for president trump to have been elected in 2016 and certainly nobody expected it including clearly based on the books that have been written including chris christie's book that's come that came out this week uh the president didn't expect it as implausible he could win again in 2020 and i know based on polling and based on what it looks like uh based on the electoral college and a lot of things people say well it's impossible there's no way he could win uh i might have been one of those but i will say uh where i see the democratic primary electorate going to the Democratic primary field, uh, many of them are going to drag themselves so far left that I think that it will be very difficult for, me, for a lot of people in the country in a head-to-head matchup to pull the lever for 
uh, for Democrats and ending private insurance and raising taxes. And now the new proposal is not just for income, increased income tax, but increased asset tax, meaning money that you have that you didn't even make this year. But just by having too much money, we are going to take it away from you because you have it. And as kind of Bill de Blasio said in his speech two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think that is kind of the 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 theme right now of the Democratic Party is where there's plenty of money around, it's just in the wrong hands. Well, guess what, guys? That was a that was communism. I mean, that is <laughs> and that's taking wealth away from people that people earned. Okay, you know, that's that they have that's called property rights. That's guaranteed in the Constitution. And I think we have an opportunity. We that is should be distasteful. That is not. Uh, that is not the way that our country was founded and should be run. And the American Revolution came about. Excuse me, because of taxation issues. And if you don't need to look for any further than what's going on in Venezuela to find out why socialism doesn't work. So that should really should be a warning to those running in the Democratic primary out there. Uh, as, as I said, as we go, we got Israeli elections coming up. We got New York City elections coming up. We've got 2020 already upon us and everything else that's going on. So we've been following that closely. Thanks for joining us here this week on Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.